Welcome back to America Speaks. We're very excited on America Speaks today to have an opportunity to check in with Mike Hull, who is an attorney based in Austin, Texas. And Mike is on a remarkable journey right now. It is an anomaly today to find someone who is so full-hearted, so inquisitive, so geared and wired towards seeing the best in people and caring about people. One of the things that he has said recently that I just adore is something to the effect that life is simple and that you really are just listening to people and finding out about how people feel and just trying to see the best in people as Mike has chosen to take a journey on foot, a solo walk all along the Texas-Mexican border. And I believe, Mike, your hope is to be back in Austin by Thanksgiving? Yeah. Can you tell us why you chose to start this journey? Yeah, I I started working some time ago around the concept, the idea that maybe some of us have just forgotten about listening. I I remember a time, maybe it's a romantic memory, but I have one that there was a time when people who maybe didn't see eye to eye would still listen to one another, find common ground, narrow their differences, and, you know, be sort of present and just listen. And it, it seems to me, re- more recent times, that art of being present and listening is not as common, at least among some people. Uh, you know, the borders in my neck of the woods and what I was hearing sort of at a national level doesn't really match what I hear from my friends along the border. And I, I thought possibly there's sort of an inconsistency in this listening idea. Mm-hmm. The idea is to walk along the border about 1,200 miles and listen. Listen to anybody that'll talk to me from whatever point of view or persuasion they may have. Just listen. Be present. I have this notion that listening is contagious. Maybe if I listen, you listen, others listen. You know, this will sort of cascade into more listening. And so that's how all this got started. So I'm curious, as you find you are journeying and walking, which in and of itself brings us back to being forced to communicate and see people on a almost a fundamental basis on foot on the ground, right? Yes, it's a, it's a slower pace. Uh, you can't get in the car and drive away, you know. I'm not in a hurry to get anywhere, and it's a whole another way of relating to people. And you're finding, on the whole, the people, I see this from your videos, that people are welcoming you, they are engaging with you. You sure has, have found a lot of blessings along the way, from what I can see, to sharing foods you have, to learning just about the actual 
infinitesimal spot that you're in because you're on foot. You know, you're not talking about a region, but you're actually talking about a locality. So tell us, first of all, have any of your thoughts changed as you have started this journey? Uh, any of my thoughts changed? I, I have been, uh, I, I'm not sure about surprised, but in the first instance, the people at least that I've encountered have been incredibly kind and compassionate and uh, well-informed and, uh, you know, just nice. You know, there's little restaurants along the way. Some of them are, you know, you go inside and there's eight or ten tables and others are just places you walk up to along the road. They serve barbecue or it's a fruit stand. If I were to show up at any of these places and if I were carrying machine guns and bombs and whatever, the first thing these people I've met would say to me is, They'd ask me if I wanted some water. And the second thing they'd do is ask if I wanted some food. And then they might say something about all that stuff I was carrying sure looks heavy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're just nice. And, and, and they respond so far, the people have responded sort of to what, what's there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am learning from the people I encounter upon it is a quality that is so present here in what I have found. Is your faith yeah. in our shared humanity blossoming more since you started this journey? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of sort of my, I don't know, goals the right word, but I have friends who live along the border area, lawyers in particular, who work with the asylum seekers. And, you know, they, they feel like they get beat up every day to the point where some of them have, have lost or are losing hope. And I, I thought, well, at least I can, you know, I'm sort of a hopeful guy. I'll bring my hope along and share that in this sort of contagious listening idea. And really, I've received as much hope, probably more, than I've had hope to offer uh, you know, at least so far, <laughs> but just good people. One of the responses I've had from watching your videos is that you are filled with the joy of where you are and the simplicity of what you're experiencing. And I think that in this country, we have an issue, how we receive information. And I was just so struck by watching your videos because, honestly, Mike, you're looking for almost like that kernel of life, that force of existence. You have some videos, I'll tell our listeners, as you start each day with the morning message, right? Yeah. And then how it was and who you met during the day. And in the background, it could be a lake or a beautiful waterway. I was noticing that in the background at the beginning, I believe you were at an area that was a wall and behind it was um, a crossways uh, with the train. And then I guess some border interception with this or that. 
And it was almost like, what doesn't belong in this picture? Reason I say this, it was almost you, because you were so full of joy, simplicity, looking at the camera, inviting us all in. And the area felt very industrial, you know? So I'm wondering, in your ability to be a bystander and walk the length of what would be our border in Texas, a state that hasn't necessarily learned, we've learned some of what people feel, but I don't think we have a full understanding of what people feel living along the border. Can you tell us, are people ready for this wall? Are they ready for this disruption? And do you feel people are just feeling so negative about what the cause and the experience is about the people who are struggling that are looking to come here? So, you know, serious topic. Uh, and I want to be careful to certainly not speak for all Texans, nor even all the people along the border. But, yeah, I can give you some examples. Uh, and, you know, a few days ago, I sat in the afternoon with a fellow named Smoking Joe. Smoking Joe's grandfather came uh, across the river in the 1930s, cleared some farmland, and uh, built a house. And the house that his grandfather, that would be Joe the first, by the way, built, uh, was still there. And a little ways down the road is this barbecue stand where Joe, Smoking Joe, who's the third, and his son, Quattro, Smoking Joe, the fourth, live. They've got 30 acres left, and you know, Joe said the Border Patrol came by recently and wanted to put a, a fence across his remaining 30 acres. And, you know, his answer was no. Now, Joe's a strong gun rights advocate, shall we say, but he has no interest in a fence you know, across his farmland. Uh, yesterday, I was at a, a mission, Lalamita Mission, built in the in mid-1800s, and the Border Patrol, the plans were, I don't blame this on the Border Patrol, but the plan was to put this fence straight through this mission area, and it took a, a big effort to stop that. Uh, there's an effort underway to, to put a fence straight through the middle of the Senator Benson uh, Wildlife Res Refuge and Butterfly Park, which is this world-famous area where people come, you know, to study these butterflies and birds. Again, I, I'm not talking to people who are interested in a fence. I haven't had anybody say that fence is a great idea. Hmm. Now, in addition to that, I just posted a video today. So, by the way, when we're talking posting, for those of you who are interested, I have a Facebook page, This Land 2019. And then the This Land is after the Woody Guthrie song. So you can go there to This Land 2019 and see these videos and the comments and the photographs. I'm in a town called La Jolla, Texas now, and there is a, I don't know if it's a dirigible or a blimp, but there's one of those things up in the sky. And I've been watching it an hour, maybe two hours. It's an observation blimp. So the question I wonder is, I mean, this is a great town. I, I've poked around here and there a little bit. These, these are energetic people. You know, they want what's good for their families, what's good for their kids. And yet there's this government presence in the form 
form of a seeing eye, an observation of flying drones that's watching this area, as far as I can tell, all the time. Oh, wow. Now, what, what does that do when not only does that occur, but it becomes commonplace? It becomes normal to be observed by the government. It can't be good. Yesterday, I talked to a, to a fella. He was probably mid-30, and he had a, a job. He's married. He's got three kids, and uh, we walked along uh, part of the border wall. And, you know, his comment was, this really is a great place to raise a family. And it didn't get better because of this wall. In fact, the wall, you know, from his perspective, you know, has not been helpful. So I don't know, you know, I'm clearly seeing one slice of the pie. And I acknowledge that. But with that said, you know, no one has really started championing the wall. Another strange thing about the wall itself is it started being constructed under George Bush I. It was built under Clinton, under Obama, George Bush II, and now the current administration. And one of the ways that has manifested is there'll be a half mile of wall and then no wall. Yeah. It's the strangest thing. Or there'll be a, a mile of wall and then they'll They'll just be, you know, 50 yards of nothing, and then the wall will pick up again. You know, I have to just say to you that I can also memorialize that this is the same thing in California. I just went to Jacumba, which is a very remote area of the crossing, the wall, the exact same conditions you reflected just now, starting with GW1 all the way through. And again, you have a lot of varying examples of different architectural impediment, wall structures, and then it stops in the middle of nowhere for a long time. <laughs> what, what is that? Well, people here told me that what I'm seeing is that one administration has one plan for the wall, and another administration has a different plan because it's different people. And then one administration will build the wall until it runs out of money. I, I, I was at a place a couple of days ago where there's this wall, you know, and then there was a gap. And it was a planned gap. Because on the other side of the wall, somebody had a home. Yeah. And they had a little chain link fence, you know, to keep the little puppies inside. <laughs> but it was a planned gap. So whoever lived there didn't have to, you know, go drop down to who knows where to get on the other side. Yeah. That's another strange thing about the wall. It's not on the river. So I, I had this impression, mistaken impression, that, you know, this was actually on the border. Uh -huh. In some places, it's pretty close. But in many of the places, when there is a wall, there's a mile, one to five, six miles between the river and the wall. Wow. I, every time I see the wall, every time I walk alongside of it, you know, I keep wondering, what about those folks on the north side of the river, on the American soil, so-called side of the river, but on the south side of the wall? What about them? The fence keeps people out, at least that's the intention. But in some ways, it keeps us in. 
You know, you said that at, an, at one of your videos, you said it's hard not to think about the wall. Does it fence us out or fence us in? Or maybe it's like a castle wall. You know, those of us around the country who have been fed the dogma over and over again about this, you know, it's remarkable to me to take a look at a man such as yourself, so educated, you are an attorney, you live in a very sophisticated uh, town, Austin. You know, you did this out of curiosity, but also out of a full heart of wanting to listen and to learn and to come back with stories, not necessarily, I don't get the impression, Mike, you're wanting to come back with stories to influence a narrative, right? I don't know, because I, I don't know, I don't know where I end up. I mean, I think of, you know, you, you have been doing something like this in your own way for a long time. I can't imagine for you, and I certainly can't imagine for me, that the person who finishes this walk in El Paso will be anything like the person that started this walk in Brownsville mm. a few days ago. I don't know what the stories are. I don't know what people will share with me, and I don't know what there is to do with the information. It, it seems a shame to have it and not share it in a way that's helpful. Oh, I think you already are. I mean, you've meant a lot to me and Kim. I'm, I'm inspired by you. I'm also feeling uplifted by the way you are approaching this. And I say this because you are telling me that Americans are good at heart. And those that are living along this perimeter that are really actually experiencing the brunt of a great deal of potential upheaval, but also the daily lives here, right? The daily lives that include full awareness of living in this area and also being, I'd say, vulnerable to what's going on there. And I'm including uh, illegal crossings or whatever happens in terms of those that do manage to get in, to get through, or are aware of the detention or the uh, border patrol um, effort and machinery near where they are living and, you know, sitting outside on an evening with a beer and looking at the deer and the sky and the clouds. These are people who really know what this is, right? They get it. Yes, and, and the point you're making, I think, is so important. You know, there was a time that I recall, I've been in and around politics for most of my adult life, and there was a time that I recall when one part of the country would defer to the senators and the representatives from the area that would be affected by a policy. It was a, a national policy that was going to be carried out in a particular state. And it seems to be, again, from my limited vantage point, that this policy that's being implemented here, which has such a tremendous impact and effect on the people who live here, is by and large being implemented by people who are not from here. And they're not even sort of close to from here. And that is such a remarkable, noteworthy change. It is so important that the people who live here who are affected by the blimp or who are affected by a skin or who are affected by the change in attitude that is brought in, it's insidious in a way, and it creeps in, and it does not take into account 
at least the people that I've come into contact with so far. I think one of the things that you're speaking to there is that, you know, so many times we see the very people that are affected by decisions, whatever that is, whether it's a government or, or a company or whatever, they're rarely brought to the table and asked for their input or their opinion. And what ends up happening nine times out of ten is because they're not consulted, because they're not given an opportunity for their voices to be heard, it ends up, however it manifests, it ends up being a very bad uh, and negative thing for the community. I'm also interested in something that you said. By the way, what was your start date? What day did you start this journey? Thursday of last week. So this is day eight. So I, I'm sorry, I lost track. That's okay. You're, you're entitled. You know, when I first read about this, I saw the post. It was a few days before you took off. And to me, there was a spiritual side of this for you. And you talked a little bit about what your Lakota friends reference as, you know, the Rio Grande and, and water in general, but water is life, and that they see the water and this river as uniters rather than how the, the boundaries and borders are, are dividers. And I'm just wondering if that experience, if that sort of idea, that concept that water is life, which is so true, has been driven home even more so now that you're actually out there and experiencing it firsthand. Yeah, the water is life. I mean, that was part of the Standing Rock, maybe the part of the Standing Rock story that's continuing to be told. One of my friends in the Big Bend area, which is the western part of Texas, said that in that part of the world, for the local people, the river is considered a huge boulevard. Is what brings people together. People would go back and forth locally across the border to this doctor and that restaurant and this dressmaker. It was something that pulled people together like a great uniter. And this wall, the person explained, is stopping that. It interferes with that. NPR had a story from their Marfa correspondent, whose name I can't recall right now, how the people deep in the Big Bend region who could walk a mile across the border to get to the doctor that they've been seeing most of their lives, they'd have to go 50, 100 miles the other direction to get to an American doctor. Right. And they used so, to do similar things in California where at the San Ysidro border, you know, of course you go back because we have to get a notion of what the wall and the division started as. And I know in Southern California, the division started even with Betty Ford coming and literally anointing a fence, just so those that were applying for citizenship, let's put the illegal or legal banner aside here. So they had what was called, and they still have it up there, a fence, and it's different panels in wood, and the panels are numbered, so that if people were lost or disoriented in this journey, they could be identified and found. And that was for their protection, Mike. So when you look at an everyday cycle, you've got an organic community on both sides of a fence, a wall, etc., or on both sides of a border. Then you look at the community not fearing 
and not being segregated, right, into I am American and you are foreign and you're dangerous, you know, that, that narrative. So people were used to taking advantage of the crossing, correct? Yeah, that's why people locally have explained it to me, is that for the people along the border, along the river, they go back and forth. It was a commonality. You know, I, I, I just I have this fundamental belief that it's not unique to me. Many people share it. But in some way or another, whatever your faith background may or may not be, we've all got this spark of, of life. And my spark is no bigger or better or brighter than anyone else's. I've got a spark and you've got a spark. You know, the, the people who want a better life for their children have a spark. And I just sort of wish, I guess it's naive, but you know, my hope is that that's the place we start from. A few years ago, I was in a border town working on a political matter, and I was standing near the bridge, the international bridge, where you go back and forth. And on the American side, there was a house. I mean, I'm going to guess it was a 3 to 1,600 square feet, maybe had a nice car, nice little lawn with some chain link fence. And it was maybe a stone's throw from the river, maybe. Now, on the other side of the river, there was uh, what I've been told is correctly called a hacienda. And this was uh, maybe 8 by 8 or 10 by 10 or 12 by 12 foot structure. And it was well maintained. It's very nice, but much smaller. And I watched this house, this hacienda, and I saw if there's maybe a mom and a dad, maybe a grandma or an aunt, and then five, six, seven kids all living in this one hospital. Now, if I'm the dad and I wake up every morning and I love my kids, like we all love our kids, and I'm looking at my kids, and then I walk out of my hacienda every day and I look a stone's throw to the river, and then just across the river, there's this house. I'm going to want what I think is best for my kids. And that the only difference between what I have and what I perceive to be as better for my kids is crossing the river and working in a different economic environment. You know, I'm going to really want to do that. And I'm going to want to do that from a desire that's common to all of us, which is what's best for our kids. And for the life of me, I don't see how we stem that shared desire with a fit. From my limited vantage point, I want to encourage all of us to want to do what's best for our kids. Because I, I believe that's what's best for my kids. How and why have we lost that? Because we have lost it, though, Mike. We've lost it by... And Kim and I talk about a notion surrounding this quite a bit on our show. And I would like to say it's almost the economic injustice. It isn't. It's a headset. It's a mentality. It's a caste system, correct? You know, I, I got a lot happier when I quit having to make those broad distinctions. <laughs> what, what, what I can say for certain is the people I've run into here want what's best for their kids. Right. And most people I know want what's best for their kids. And what I want to work for is what we all sort of perceive as being best for our 
Amen to that. You know, I think of your observations today on a day that we are just, and, and I'm hoping you're not glued to the news. It's a very difficult day for the world and the United States and what we're surrounded with, with our political chaos. And I listen to your placement where you are in the peace the quiet, the transition of the border along the Texas border. Um, some of us may look at that as the heart and soul of that hub of the nation, you know, and it's full of history and folklore. It's full of mystery and it's full of simplicity. And I look at you in this environment and your observations. And honestly, Mike, I'm hoping that beyond the Facebook and your reports, which are real life little mini documentaries, that maybe you'll consider putting this down in a diary form. Because what I'm trying to get at here is, in this interview today, you're, you're making me feel hopeful, less anxious, less complicated about where we're at as a people. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Makes me feel like I've done a good thing today. <laughs> well, you've done a good thing, period. Kim, I know you have a lot that you have expressed to me about this discovery of Mike's, so I'm throwing the mic to you. Well, I, I would just really like to say in closing a couple things. One, what I'm hoping that you'll consider, Mike, because I know a lot of your time is spent talking with people along the border and, and getting their perspectives and sharing and just listening, but I'd also really love for you to come on, you know, every couple of days and give us updates as you go along because I think this is an important human story and I think it's an important personal story and I think it's a perspective that we're not getting. And that really sort of goes in the line of with my sort of last point, which is really about what you just said. You know, we I think the reason why we're in the place that we're in from this inability to see that we have so much more in common than we have that divides us is because the loudest voices are not the majority, but they are loud. And it's very hard when you're in a place, I think, of peace and trying to create and show that there is commonality, that we all want what's best for our kids, that we all want a better life. We all want to be able to feel good at the end of the day, that we've done everything we can um, to live a good life. Um, those aren't loud voices. Those aren't people that are out there shouting and spewing forth all sorts of stuff. And so maybe by what you're doing and by coming on to America Speaks and being part of our opportunity to connect with you, maybe that will help amplify your voice. So you're not screaming and you're not shouting, but... It's just making your voice louder and the opportunity for each of us to be able to maybe think about how we approach our own communities, wherever we might live, and maybe uh, look at each other from a different perspective and, and to start to listen more. So that's what I hope that we can do. And I would really love for you to continue to share your experiences because I think it's important. 
Mike, and I, I'm giving you a virtual hug <laughs> from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, so I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I hope that we can amplify your voice in a way that allows for people to start hearing this kind of positivity rather than all the negative stuff. That sounds right to me. Well, I love that. And the way I look at our conversations is actually, this is like nourishment. You know, you're planting a garden. You're actually throwing seeds into the ground where your feet are placing each footprint. And uh, first of all, let's just hearken back to the reality that you're walking and everything that goes with that. And then you're vulnerable and you're also trusting, Mike. And in that trust, I hope you have found that people have respected your space on this journey. Yes, I, I just have no complaints. People have been great, every way you can imagine. So encouraged. Well, I am too, actually, because I was expecting you to get on the air and tell us the good, the bad, the ugly. And this has been an opportunity just to feel joy and uh, enrichment uh, by this terrific idea. Maybe besides the listening, maybe the joy and the trust, the love will become also infectious. That's my hope. I'm with you. Well, we're going to let you take the rest of the day in some repose and rest and nourishment. And what I'd love to do, and Kim and I will figure this out, you're on the road until Thanksgiving, so that's about five or six weeks. Why don't we check back in with you about two or three more times we can make it shorter because people who are our audience will already have all this down and we'll just take it from there maybe 15 minutes or so and just check back in with you for some follow-up uh, conversation how does that sound fantastic i love that okay well, you Godspeed, and we'll talk soon. And from everyone at America Speaks, I want to remind you, you can check out Michael's solo journey, but with the people who are actually opening their hearts and their homes and their neighborhoods along the uh, border of Texas. Uh, Mike can be found on Facebook, and his post is This Land 2019. So that is where to find Mike. I'm going to encourage everyone to go onto Facebook to This Land 2019. You know, you're not going to believe how much fun it is to watch his journey. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. And, and thank you, Kim, for finding Mike. And also for all of you out there, I'm encouraging you to write to Mike. You can reach out to him on Facebook. Maybe it will be infectious and maybe you'll feel incredible enrichment from his journey. And wouldn't that be great? That would be so cool. So we're going to say goodbye from America Speaks. And Mike, we're going to talk to you in about a week or so and see how you are, where you are. How does that sound? Perfect. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Again, I want to invite everyone to subscribe to America Speaks podcast. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Anchor, and Libsum. And please get in touch with us. This is your time to be loud, angry, active, and heard. Let us know if you have subjects that we have not covered that you would like to hear about. And a big announcement today. 
You can now find my forthcoming book, We Protest, Fighting for What We Believe In, on Amazon under Rizzoli Books in a pre-sale offer before it is released on March 10th. And stay tuned for all the exciting news on my book signings, speaking engagements, and exhibitions across the country. We are a powerful voice, each and every one of us. And if you protested for anything in the past three years, I bet you may find yourself in my book. And lastly, I want to thank James Koblenz and Kim Langbacker, without whom this episode would not be possible. And remember... America Speaks believes every one of us has a story. And a voice.